Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Mark, the 16th chapter. Mark chapter 16 is where we are today. If you're going to use the Pew Bible in the rack there, it's page 1010. Go ahead and find that. Mark chapter 16. And here's the key concept for this morning. What else could it be? Death is defeated. Death is defeated. While you're finding Mark chapter 16, I'd like you to imagine for a moment that you are going to a graveyard. What would you expect to see in the cemetery? The scene would probably be a scene of stillness, probably quietness. Maybe you'd see a family over to the left putting flowers on a grave. Or maybe over to the right you'd see them setting up for a graveside service, getting ready for that kind of thing. And of course you'd see headstones. You'd see the names on the headstones and dates and you'd see a dash. And that dash would summarize everything about the life of the person under that headstone. All of it summarized in just that symbol. Some of those headstones would have sentiments written on them. Sentiments from the family, like rest in peace, or beloved mother, beloved father. And every once in a while, you come across a headstone that tells you that the deceased person or a family member just could not resist getting in one last joke, as if they're refusing to be serious even in a graveyard. I found some photos of just some grave, gravestones like that. Let's see some of the photos. Here's one. He loved bacon. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Died from not forwarding that text message to 10 people. Some of you are precariously placed right now. Let's see the next one. This is Merv Griffin. I will not be right back after this message. (laughs) How about the next one? At last, a hole in one. That's a little too far, right? A little too far. I love this next one. I told you I was sick. A little bit of snarkiness, even from the great beyond. We don't often expect to see gravestones like that, once in a while. But what we definitely would not expect to see is a formerly occupied grave, now empty. But that's just what happened that first Resurrection Sunday. 
Read with me, starting in uh, chapter 16 of the book of Mark, verse 1, says this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Now let's back up in the story just a little bit. We talk about Jesus being laid to rest in a borrowed tomb. I don't know if you've ever thought about that expression, but I imagine a borrowed tomb is a little bit like a borrowed toothbrush. Once you use it, it's kind of yours, right? (coughs) But not this time, because this tomb is going to be empty again. This belonged to a rich man by the name of Joseph. And Joseph went to Pilate, who was the governor in the region there, when Jesus was still on the cross, and he asked him if he could be entrusted with the body of Jesus so that he could bury him. So you need to understand that Jesus' closest friends and disciples, they were so confused and so disheartened when the crucifixion was happening, they had no plans. They had no idea what they were going to do, what's going to come next. So it took Joseph to go to Pilate to ask for the body. Pilate said yes, and Joseph and a man named Nicodemus took that body and battered as it was, and he wrapped it up in spices and linen cloths, and they took that body and placed it in the tomb. Now all of this was happening around sundown on the day that we call Good Friday. Sundown on Friday. And that was a problem because at sunset on Friday, the Sabbath began. And it was forbidden for a Jew to handle a dead body on the Sabbath, particularly this Sabbath, the the Passover Sabbath. And so I can imagine that Joseph and Nicodemus, they, they worked fast to get this done before the sun went down. And The women who are in our passage, at least some of them, were watching all of this take place. They watched from a distance as that large stone was rolled in front of the tomb. That's the tradition, a stone put in front of the grave. And it's not clear whether they knew it or not, but we know that after that, Pilate had that stone sealed and he had guards placed in front of it so that nothing would happen. That was all Friday night. Saturday was the Sabbath. Saturday they rested. There's no activity recorded for Saturday. But Sunday morning, as soon as the sun was coming up, these women were on the move. And they were on a mission. And it was a mission in two parts. The first part of the mission was simply to honor Jesus. To be there. Because it was the Jewish tradition that you would come to the uh, grave and you would sit vigil by the grave for three days. That was the common tradition, and it honored the deceased. They came to do that, but there was a second part in their mission. They also came to serve Jesus. 
to put on anointing oils onto the body. See, I think they felt that in the rush of Friday, maybe it wasn't, just, it wasn't done just right. And they wanted to take care of that. When you love someone, you wanted to make sure it's done just right. And so they come. And we know they come in a bit of impulsiveness. They, they hadn't really thought it all through because on the way they begin to discuss, how are we going to move that stone? It's a big stone. It's going to be in the way. How, how are we going to move it? They knew they couldn't do it, but they kept on, kind of, we'll think about that later, and they came to the grave because they had invested their heart and their soul and their time and their effort in this cause, the cause of Jesus of Nazareth. And now it looked like the cause was leaderless. And it was also confusing to them because they have seen this person put life back into other dead bodies. They have seen him heal the blind and the sick and the lame. And now it just doesn't compute that he has been executed by the Romans. It's the worst day ever. I imagine the women felt like they will never be happy again as they walk to the grave. And I mention it that way because I wonder if you have felt that way. I wonder if you have felt, it's over. I'm done. This is it. I'm never going to be happy again. Things couldn't get any worse. And it is on Resurrection Sunday morning that we learn that when things can't get any worse, God is at his best. So we wait for what he is going to do. When things seem to be the worst, God will be at his best. Wait for what he will do. God is able to bring good news into painful places, to bring hope into shattered lives. He's able to rebuild and remake. When the worst has happened, he can gather the pieces together. Because he is all powerful. And so the ladies came. And when they came, they saw what was totally unexpected. Good news in a graveyard. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Back from the dead. Listen, that's the crux of the matter. Jesus came back from the dead. The Apostle Paul writes that if Jesus is not raised, then we are still all in our sins. If he did not defeat death, then he is not who he said he was. He's not God the Son in the flesh. Everything hinges on the resurrection. Because if God can reverse that which us seems like an unstoppable force, death. If God can reverse that, then he can really give me hope. He can really give you hope for salvation. The question is, what in your life would you reverse if you could? What, if you had a do-over, what, what would you do different? Would you not take that first drink, which has led to alcoholism? Would you not smoke that first cigarette, which now enslaves you? Would you not speak those words in anger? Would you reclaim your virginity? 
Would you not get behind the wheel that night? Would you not treat your children the way that you treated them? Would you not tell that lie that you told? See, the consequences of our choices shape our lives. And for us, once those consequences are unleashed, they are irreversible. But along comes the resurrection, and it reminds us that there is a God who is able to do the impossible. He can reverse what seems certain and done. The good news of Jesus' resurrection changes everything. The first thing it does, the good news of Jesus' resurrection shows us that God can move stones. Mark tells us what they were thinking. Coming up the pathway that day, in the midst of their grief, these ladies are practical enough to wonder about the stones. Who's going to move that stone? My wife tells me that women... And the way they function in their brains, they're always, they always have a lot of tapes going on all at the same time, you know? Always thinking about multiple things all at the same time. Thinking about the house, thinking about the job, thinking about the kids, thinking about a project that, that's happening, thinking about the friends, thinking about the needs of this neighbor or that neighbor. All these tapes are always spinning all the time. Once in a while, one of them comes forward, but everything is playing in the background and never shuts down. That's how women are. Guys, we have one tape. It's just, that's it. That's what's playing, that tape. Every once in a while, that goes off the spool. So if you see your husband or your boyfriend and you say, what are you thinking? And he says, nothing. It's absolutely true. The thought is off the spool. But the tapes of the ladies are always going. And so even in the midst of their grief and they're worried about what's going on, you know, what's coming next, all this they think, wow, who's going to move that stone? That's the tape that comes forward. And they're savvy enough to know the Romans are not going to help us. But lo and behold, when they get there, they find that the stone has been moved. So why do you think that was? I don't think that Jesus needed the stone moved to get out. Jesus is performing the greatest miracle of all time. He's coming back from the dead. A rock is not going to get in his way. The stone was moved so that the ladies could look in. That's the point. God goes the extra mile. It didn't have to happen that way. Jesus could have met them on the road, could have talked to them and so forth. It didn't have to happen that they would actually look in and see an empty tomb. But the stone was removed so that they could have that extra measure of evidence. So that little bit extra of, no, I've seen it. The tomb is empty. I know it. It shows you just how much God loves you. He goes the extra mile. It was an extra blessing. One more element of proof. So the question for us today is, do we go through life seeing only the stones that are in the way, or do we see the God who will move the stones when we turn to Him? Because He has a plan for us, a loving plan. He moves those stones out of the way to give us an extra blessing. I'm sure you're familiar with the cartoon character Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown has that brick wall that he leans on when he wants to speak philosophically. He's there with Linus very often. <coughs> And Charlie Brown is talking to Linus in one of the comic strips, and he says, uh, Linus, I have a new plan. Linus says, what's the plan? plan is I'm only going to dread one day at a time. 
Now, maybe that's a step up for Charlie Brown, but here's the news. You are not meant to be a person of dread. You are meant to be a person of hope, anticipating there is a God who loves me that is willing to move the stones out of the way. He's ready to go the extra mile for us if we turn to him. That's good news. Secondly, good news that the resurrection of Jesus will release us from fear. There's a lot of fear in grief, and these ladies felt it as they traveled up towards that grave. There's the fear of, well, what now? What next? What's coming? Everything's changing. That's fearful. And we are people who are controlled by fear very often. We, we're afraid to fail, so we don't try. We're afraid that people we don't like us, so we don't reach out. We're afraid of change, so we stay the same. We're afraid of cancer and pollution and war and the stock market falling. We're afraid of, afraid of inflation and crime. And there's all kinds of psychological fancy names for fear, right? The fear of tight places, the fear of water, the fear of loud noises, the fear of public speaking, the fear of the outdoors. There's even a fear named phobophobia. You know what that is? The fear of fear. I have it. But the truth is we're, we're afraid to not be afraid because something might sneak up on us. And so when things are going well, everything's happy, things are good, there's a little thing in the back of our brain saying, shouldn't you be worried about something right now? Fear. Now Matthew tells us that when the resurrection events take place, the Roman soldiers are so afraid that they faint de dead away. But when the women show up, the first thing that the angel says is fear not. Don't be alarmed in our translation. You have nothing to be afraid of because this is good news. Now, in order for it to be good news for you, you have to want what it says. You have to be more for the blessing that Jesus will bring, more about his victory than our failure, more about his program than our pride, more about the cleansing that he offers us than clinging to the habits that defile. But the guards didn't see it that way. For the guards, the events of the resurrection was not good news and they were afraid. But to those who want it, it's great news. Fear not. God knows what you're looking for. Fear not. God knows what you need. And he knows what is best. You see, the way to let God's plans for you to be good news in your life is to recognize that what he wants for you is always better than what you can come up with. It's always better than your plan. Now, some of you are hearing that and you're saying, well, I don't know. I got some pretty good plans. My plans involve a boat. God's plans are better. Look at these ladies. These ladies are approaching the, the tomb. Why? to anoint the body. What does that mean? They want to make a dead body smell better. That's the plan. And it's a nice plan. But it's a human-sized plan. They have no idea that they're about to encounter a God-sized plan. Death is defeated. And God has God-sized plans for you. That's good news. Don't be afraid of God's plan for you. Don't be afraid of God's changes he wants to make in your life. You're going to end up better than you could ever imagine. Amen. Thirdly, the good news allows you to see Jesus and see him in a whole new way. I'm going to give you a, a little saying that you could use in parties. 
You can write it down. It's free. It's this. When you put Limburger on your upper lip, the whole world stinks. Just throw that out there today at lunch, you know, see what happens. That's a saying about perspective. It says, your perspective changes the way you view everything. If you expect the worst, you're going to get the worst. If you expect that you're useless, you're going to be useless. But when you expect the fact that you are a person who is loved by Jesus, when your perspective is, I am one who Jesus thinks is worth dying for, then that begins to change everything. You see, the the chronology of the events as we put them together between the four Gospels, each of them writes from a little different slice. If we put it all together, Mary Magdalene comes back. And she's confused. In John 20, verse 11, it says, Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Now, here's what I want you to see. She had the facts. The tomb was empty. She knew Jesus wasn't there. But as she's processing this, she's still crying because her perspective hasn't changed yet. She saw the evidence, but she's trapped in the wrong conclusion. Let's read on in that scene. Verse 14, John 20. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. I want you to see when her perspective changed. When he said her name. When he made it personal. Mary. When he spoke her name, the perspective of death was turned to life. And the unexpected good news was understood. This matters for us. Death is defeated. Because death is the great inevitability. All of us will face it. But we don't have to face it in fear. Because Jesus has conquered the effects of death. Jesus promises us that when we are in a relationship with him, known by name, That he gives us purpose in this life and promise for the life to come. But the perspective to grab hold of that only changes when we know he's making it personal with us. Because Jesus is saying your name, just like he said Mary's name. He's saying John, Jim, Sue, Lisa, Debbie. Henry, Josh, Monica, Connie, Tony, Bob, Sal. He's saying your name. Add your name to that list because he knows you by name just like he knows Mary and he offers you life by name. You see, you need to see Jesus different. Not as a baby in a manger anymore, not as a guru with flowing robes, but as he really is, God the Son who knows you by name and loves you. He took the punishment for our sinful rebellion. And he conquered death because he was 
who he says he was. He chose to graciously make a way for us to be forgiven. And it happens when we allow him to make it personal. He is victorious and his victory can be ours. That's the message of the resurrection. Death cannot keep its prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose the victor or a dark domain. He lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. And he's alive today. And he has a purpose for you. Paul quotes the Old Testament in Romans 10 when he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does that mean? It means when you call out to the name of the Lord and he calls your name, you start over in a new relationship with God. It means you are washed clean and the the distance between you and your heavenly father is erased. It means that you are forgiven and given a purpose in this life to be a part of what God is doing. It means that you have promise in the life to come that death doesn't really matter for you anymore. Because there is eternal life that awaits. All of that is summed up in that little word, saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's good news. And maybe for some of us here today, that is just what you need. Because as I've been speaking, maybe for some, what you've been really hearing is the prompting of the Holy Spirit saying... It's time to make it personal. It's time to say yes to the love of Jesus. I'm going to help you do that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I'm not going to ask you to do anything or say anything except to talk with God right now. And if today you sense that you need to be forgiven by Jesus and say yes to the promise of life, It is a step of faith. And I'm going to help you take that step simply by guiding you in a prayer. These are not magic words. But these are words that carry meaning. And they make a difference. The prayer is, Lord Jesus, I need you. Pray it silently right where you sit, if this is you. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you to forgive my sin. I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose again. Today, make it personal with me. I want to be your child. Heavenly Father, I don't know who prayed that prayer in this room, but I believe that maybe there's a mom who's doing that. Or a dad who's pushed away the things of faith for a long time, but finally is saying, yes. I believe there's a son or a daughter who is clinging to you for hope and for salvation. And Lord, as that is happening, we pray that you will honor those prayers. That you would make a change in those lives. That we would be different because now we are yours. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We trust you. 
And we know that you are alive and listening today. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me a moment ago, I would like to send you a book about how to live this Christian life. And the way I can get it to you is by you filling out this form. Somewhere around you, maybe, maybe you're sitting on it or maybe it's in the rack in front of you, there's this form. What I'd like you to do is check the box that applies to you. Maybe I prayed with Pastor Mark to receive Jesus as my Savior. Send me the follow-up materials. Check that box and write down your name and address. I'll send them to you. Or I rededicated my life to Christ. Check that box. I'll send them to you. Write down your contact information. I'd like to talk with someone further about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You check that box and give us your information. Somebody will call you this week and just talk to you a little bit about what it means to, to be a follower of Christ. Or if you want information about Quail Lakes Baptist Church, check that. Fill out this form. We will send you information about that, about the church and the ministry. We'd love to do that. All I'm going to ask you to do is fill this out in, in the next few moments. And when you leave today, leave this on your seat. We'll pick it up, and we'll be in touch with you this coming week, okay? So while you're doing that, the team is back to lead us in a closing song. For, so I invite you to stand, and let's sing together. Oh, 
criminal's cross Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had a loss But then Jesus arose with more freedom in hand That's when death was arrested and my life began That's what rested That's when death was arrested and my life Jesus, we thank you that you have the victory. We thank you that you are alive and well. We pray that you are pleased with our worship today. Dismiss us now with your blessing. Watch over us in the week ahead. Lord, we pray that the words we say and the actions we take, that it would all be pointing to you. Help us to represent you well. And this world does not know you, but needs you desperately. Use us towards that end, we pray, for we love you. And we pray it in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming today.
Teach every nation. 